So what we talked about last week in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, was how the enemy uses the world and the desires of our flesh and our eyes to lure us away from the hope that we have in the gospel and the standing that we have before God in the gospel. And this week, this week John lingers a little bit around the same idea. But he wants to talk to us this week about the nature of deception. Have you ever been deceived before? Have you ever been in a situation where you were not aware of reality as you thought you were? I have. I mean, I, 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 was, uh, I was hunting with a friend, Ralph, in Indiana. This is over 10 years ago. And, and um, he took me hunting. We were going out to the cabin one afternoon uh, to set up the stand that afternoon and to go out the next morning. And so we get out to the woods and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the cabin is where I want to hunt is about 15 minutes away from the cabin, not too much of a walk. And so I, I as I'm going out uh, to set up my stand, uh, I place some of those little reflector pins on trees so that when you shine a flashlight on it in the dark, you kind of know where you're at. It has a sense of orienting you, uh, reorienting you to where you're, where you're supposed to go. So, um, so anyway, I go set up my stand and uh, it's a great spot. I'm for sure I'm going to harvest a large animal there. And uh, as I go back uh, and I get a good night's sleep, I get up the next morning, uh, get my bow, get my camo on, spray all that stuff on you. And, uh, and then I, I head out and I've got my flashlight on and I'm tracking well for about the first five or six, seven minutes. I see a couple of the, 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 the signposts that I'd set out to, to find myself in the sand. And then I noticed that the, that the moon was out and that it was probably not necessary for me to have a flashlight on anymore. And so I turned the flashlight off. I could see fairly well. I couldn't see those reflectors. And so I started walking uh, in the way that I thought uh, was where my stand was. And uh, about 45 minutes had passed. And I happened to look down at my watch and notice that. And I was sweating profusely. And, uh, and then I looked up to find myself in an unfamiliar place. <laughs> And so I'm looking around, trying to figure out, okay, where am I? Does anything look familiar? The sun is coming up at this time. The hunt is basically blown in my mind. And so uh, I do what anybody would do. I call my friend, pull out my cell phone. Didn't have a GPS or anything like that, just an old flip phone. And I pull it out, and I call him, and, and my friend Ralph says, hey, so uh, do you see anything that looks familiar? Like, tell me what, what, you know, what's around you. I said, trees, Ralph, trees. That's all there is, okay? And he's like, well, okay, I can't help you. And I, so anyway, I, I kept getting lost. I, I kept getting further and further lost. And so I said, Ralph, um, I, 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 can't, I can't get back. I don't know how to get back. I've been gone for over an hour and a half at this point. And, and uh, I said, Ralph, can you blow your horn in your truck? Uh, he did. I couldn't hear it. He had an air horn. He starts blowing his air horn. I'm hunting, by the way, okay? And, um, and I could barely hear it. And I, I would... I would hear it and I would say, okay, I was on the phone with him, I'd walk a little further, blow it again. And he strategically led me back over the course of an hour to where his, the house was. And we completely blew the hunt that morning. But metaphorically speaking, here's the question I have for you. Have you, have you ever looked up to find yourself lost in life? Have you ever looked up to find yourself not where you had planned to be? Have you ever looked up and found yourself Deceived. You thought you were doing the right thing all along only to find yourself far from God and, and far from His will and miserable. And for me, I don't, I don't know about what leads you into deceit sometimes, but sometimes it's myself, it's my overconfidence and my ability to make it happen on my own. 
had these you know, preventative measures in place to keep me from being deceived, and I was deceived. So what do you do when you realize that you are being deceived? Because here's what I'm convinced of, is that we are far more easily deceived than any of us you know, dare to admit. We are far more easily deceived. And the, the key to avoiding deception is to stay tethered to Jesus. Because deception sets in on us when we, when we become a, unaware of reality and the truth about us and the truth about our Lord. We, we, become, we become numb to reality. We become over-familiar with reality, what we think is reality, and we become deceived. And this is why John writes to the church, because they're on the verge of deception. And they heard it straight from the apostles' mouth, and they were still on the verge of deception. So here's our big idea of where we're going today, church. It's this, abiding in God's Word through God's Spirit among God's people, we keep from being deceived. So let's read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27 together. Here's what John writes. He says, Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. There's a, a Scooby-Doo word for us. Uh, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That, underline that, is the Antichrist. He who denies that the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you, remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides or remains in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise. This is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So here's the context of this. I don't, I don't want you to throw this out because this was a, to a specific group of people because we are far more easily deceived than we think we are. There were people in the church who left the church and, and they began teaching anti-Christian ideas or anti-Christ ideas. They were likely teaching that Jesus didn't come as a, as a man like they were. That's what Gnosticism said, that he wasn't like us. He wasn't a man like us and he didn't need to. And it sounds easy to discern, but deception always is a drift. It starts out with part of the truth and ends up somewhere completely different. That's how deception works. It's your friend you were in small group with that was your account accountability partner for years. He said some things that were maybe a little off, but then he left the church, and now, years later, it's, it's about spirituality. Now, we, we could just become spiritual through different means. It's, it's not about Jesus. It's, it's about politics. It, it's not about Jesus. And you know that Jesus couldn't fit into any political construct that we have today. You know that, right? He, there's no way he could. If you read the Bible, there's no way possible that you could paint him red or blue. That gives us real hope, doesn't it? 
It's about self-discovery, you know, not hiding yourself in Jesus like Colossians 3 said. You know, it's about God giving you a breakthrough to escape the pain instead of suffering in Jesus because he's our hope. It's about new knowledge to be enlightened, not the same old grace-soaked gospel of Jesus that keeps giving us life. John says that this deception is adrift, but if we trust the Lord's method of keeping us, we won't be deceived. So here's how God keeps us from being deceived. He gives us defense for deception. He doesn't rescue us out of the possibility of deception because the enemy is still prowling around like a roaring lion. But he gives us defense in and of himself of it if we'll avail ourselves of his defense that he has for us. So before we get into kind of those three areas that he gives us defense, we've got to explain a couple, uh, as I said, Scooby-Doo or apocalyptic kind of terms here that are not familiar terms to most of us, and we have preconceived ideas of what these words mean. I want to simply break them down for us quickly before we get into this. 1 John 2.18, let me read it again for you. It says this, children, now this is, this is Pastor John. He's, he's somewhere between 80 and 100 years old when he writes this, all right? He's, he's writing to the church like a grandpa, right? Sitting on the porch. He has deep care for him. Children, this is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this term, the last hour. You could also define it as the last days. Uh, let, let me read a couple more passages that, that relate to this. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out uh, at Pentecost. And, and here's what the prophecy said. It says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And in the last days... It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, And in many ways, many and various ways, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by a son. So the last hour, the last days, according to the word, when, when Jesus came to the earth, and then when he left the earth and he he imparted his spirit to us, which is his presence with us because he's at the right hand of the Father. We entered the last days, the last hour, the last season of the expansion of his kingdom. Okay? And, and the deceiver, Satan himself, has spent all his days bringing deception to creation, starting in the garden. And what he's been trying to do is convince mankind of a reality that is not true, a fake future, if you will, if you will. And it's a future with no provision of forgiveness, a future with no grace, a future with no victory over sin. That's where he wants to take us. That's how he wants to deceive us. And so God gave us his spirit so that we could endure in these last days. So, because what we see about the enemy is this, is that, that he, what he wants to take from you is your confidence. Because if he can take your confidence in the gospel away, He's got you hook, line, and sinker. This is the same way that I see Christians that struggle with assurance of salvation. We, we, we end on the, we're, we're on this endless kind of cycle of trying to prove our faith. But Jesus says it's already yours. And that's where your confidence comes from is that, you know, it is finished. But deceit occurs any time that the truth is concealed or misrepresented, you know, it's, it's like you tell your kids, right? You say, you, you, they say, uh, you know, I didn't lie about that. Yeah, but did you tell the whole truth? 
Well, no. Well, then you lied, right? I mean, because you, you, you concealed some of the truth. Well, Jesus is saying that in him, we, we can see the full picture if we'll trust him. And John is saying here that because Jesus has come and he sent his spirit to the world, that, that combatively, that there's also this increased activity of the spirit of Antichrist through deceit. But because of the resurrection of Christ, we don't have to fool around with his schemes. We don't have to be outwitted. We don't have to be ignorant of his schemes. Because here's the truth. Satan has never given you anything. He's only taken away. The thief, what does he come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. That is what he comes to do, and he does that through deceit. Not only does he steal and, and, and kill physically from us, but he does it spiritually. He wants to rob us of confidence in the gospel. So when we, when we agree in deception in these last days, we're living in the spirit of Antichrist. So let me explain that a little bit more. Antichrist, plural, okay? That's different than we've been taught about it, right? In, in the, the Left Behind movies and books that you've read, you've, you've, been, you've been taught about it. So let me unpack it a little bit because I think it's a little bit more complex than maybe we think about it sometimes. Every time that this word is used in the Bible, it's either used in 1 John or 2 John. Um, and there are other ways that Paul and John talk about uh, this person as well. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And John writes about the beast in Revelation chapter 13. And as far as I can interpret by God's help and wrestling through with some brothers and sisters in Christ, these three descriptions most likely describe the same concept. But John's focus on Antichrist seems to be that the Antichrist is, has come and is coming. Now, you got to think about this. Uh, from John's perspective, he wrote this book about 1950 years ago, right? A long time ago. So, you know, there's a lot of debate on when would the Antichrist come. A lot of people believe that it was the Roman Empire, right? That's what a lot of people believe. Some people that are more pre, pre-millennial, pre-trib, dispensational think that the Antichrist is someone that's coming. But one thing we know that is true, no matter where you land on that spectrum, and that's a tertiary issue that I'm going to let Brandon preach on when I'm on sabbatical, but um, the thing you got to know is this, is that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the world and no one knows when it's going to happen. That there's no prophecy we're waiting to be fulfilled other than, you know, Revelation, you know, 22, when he makes everything new. That's the only thing we're waiting on, right? There's no prophecy we're waiting on. How he comes back is maybe a bit of a mystery to us. And there's godly people that land all over the map on that. That's not what I want you to get hung up on. Because I think, I think what the enemy wants us to do is to focus kind of on this big Mark of the Beast Antichrist figure and miss the deception that is happening right in front of our eyes. He wants us to focus on the Antichrist and miss the Antichrists all around us. And so don't fall for that trap. Don't take the bait on that. But let me read to you just the, the other passages that talk about Antichrists. 1 John chapter 2, 18 through 22. Children, it's the last hour and we've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. That's how we know there's people against Jesus. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4, 3. Every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. 
This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it was coming, and now it is in the world already. For many deceivers have gone out in the world, men who will not acknowledge, this is 2 John 7, for many deceivers have gone out in the world, men who will not acknowledge the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and not the Antichrist. So, so here's how we're defining this world. Anti, when you think about it in the Greek, there's some construction noise here, so we're trying to stay focused. Um, the word anti in the Greek has two possible meanings. In one sense, it means against. We're familiar with that. But in the other sense, it means in place of or instead of. So here's how I want us to define the spirit of Antichrist. And I think it makes it a lot more prevalent in how we see it. The spirit of Antichrist is this. is Anyone who works against Christ and attempts to become a substitute for Christ. So do you know what that means? That means that all of us have not only experienced Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist, but we have perpetuated Antichrist in the world. Because we all, at one place in our life, were not regenerate. We were strangers, aliens of God. So when you think about Antichrist, it when you think about it from this perspective, it changes how you think about it. It's anything that comes against or tries to replace Jesus. That's the spirit of Antichrist. So last hour of the Antichrist, now let's dig into this. To, to see how Jesus keeps us from being deceived and lured away. The first thing is this, is a deeper connection to the body of Christ. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. So John says this about these people, they went out from us, but they were not of us. These are, so these are people in the church, in the visible church. They showed up at New City, so to speak, and then they left, all right? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. So here's what happened. Pastor John's writing to the church. And he says these people left the church, um, but they didn't just leave the church. It wasn't like they just went down the road to First Baptist. They left the faith. Sometimes God calls you to leave a church. That might be why you're at New City Church. We, help, we try to help you in our process do that well. Because sometimes you got to leave a church. It's just the way it is. But John is not talking about people who leave the church. He's talking about people who've left the faith. And they left and they followed people who had influence in their church. But they started adding to the Bible. They started adding things to their teaching. And it's so funny because... I think, I think all of us who are listening to this think, oh, I'd never fall for that. I'd never fall for that. That's when you know that the enemy's already set the hook. If you think that you could never be deceived, you're already in trouble. John isn't saying that they became Buddhist or Sikh or Hindu. John is saying that they became what we would call a cult today. They, they became something other than Christian. And a cult is a religious movement that starts out as Christian and it even self-identifies as Christian, but by the Bible standards, it is not Christian. Some examples of this today would be the Church of Latter-day Saints, Mormon Church, or the Jehovah's Witnesses that started out as Christian, but then started in this slippery slope of adding things to the teaching. It always has to do with a new revelation and a new book and a new standard, right? That's what it always develops into. 
It's, ha- it's happening all around us, even in less formalized ways than that. But for example, you know, Mormonism believes in three distinct gods and that God was once a man that progressed to godhood. And that likewise, salvation in the Mormon sense says that we enter the celestial kingdom with spouses and are gods. And, and by the way, they believe that most Orthodox Christians are apostate. They believe we're the bad guys, okay? So I'm not telling you to go out and get an argue with a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness, but what I'm saying is that, um, you know, they all have the same thing in common. They start out as Orthodox with good intentions of pursuing new knowledge, new revelation, and it ends up spiraling out into something that is not Christian. This is what John is warning against here. You know, most people that go out from the church today and they leave the faith today, they don't go out for Mormonism or for the Jehovah's Witness faith, but where do they go to? Most of the time they go to secularism, right? It's a drift away from the expectancy of life beyond earth to the expectancy of deeper life on earth. That's where we drift today. And, you know, it starts with an indifference to God's word, then an indifference to God's people, an indifference to God's ways. And before you know it, you are living like this is it. Your, your Bible is traded in for some, help, some self-help and improvement books of searching the deeper you. Before you know it, you're deceived. And John is encouraging the church saying, hey, they're the ones that left. Why are you listening to them? They're the ones that left. Don't listen to them. They've made it clear at this juncture in their life that Jesus is not king. But for you, you need to know that when you leave the Orthodox church, You are a sitting duck for deception. When you leave the church, what you're saying is that I can be Christian and I can stay Christian in in means and modes that are not God's means and modes for keeping us, right? That's what we're saying. You know, sometimes people backslide, right? I mean, if you're a Christian, you haven't backslidden, you're probably lying, okay? Let's be honest. Um, But, and sometimes people fall away from the church, church. They, they fall away from the truth, But this doesn't necessarily mean that they're apostate and they've gone to some other religion. But if they never come back, it probably does, right? You know, you can can know you're a Christian if you come back. And that's the whole reason that Jesus teaches about that. You know, are you coming back to Jesus? This is the litmus test for any of the Christian authors, pastors, or artists that we've seen that have, you know, come out as against the faith. You ask, did they lose their salvation? And the the Bible has no category for losing your salvation. It has a category for finishing the race, the perseverance, the preservation of the saints, that the Spirit, if the Spirit is alive in us, we finish the race. Now, sometimes that chart, you know, that that path looks really squirrely, right? But the reality is this, you finish the race. You know, so so the, the McDowell guy or the, 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 the Hawk Nelson guy, were they, if you heard about them, were they Christians at all? Who knows? We'll see at the end of time, right, if they come back to the faith. It's, it's impossible to lose your salvation, but it's incredibly possible to fake it, to fake it that you've got the part. And only Jesus knows the difference. But here's, here's the good news I want to give you about this piece right here, is that Jesus is the one that keeps us. Not you. Jesus is the one that keeps us. Here's what he told his disciples in John chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. He says this, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. 
him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. This is my job, Jesus says, that I will lose nothing of all that he's given to me, but I'll raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus was sent to keep you in the truth, church. Sometimes that is a squirrely path of what that looks like. So let me just ask you this question. Are you or someone that you love in a season where you have just slid away from the church? You just somehow just drifted. Drifted from you know, summer vacation to, to never coming back. Are you there today? What, what is keeping you away from God's means of keeping your soul? What is it for you? What's keeping you from coming back home? Because we're in isolation. We're like sitting ducks for deception. Do you remember that story that Jesus shared in, in Luke chapter 15? It's the, parable, the parables of all the lost things that are found, right? Lost son, lost sheep, I think lost coin. There's a bunch of lost stuff there. But the reality of all of the lost things is that Jesus finds them. So Jesus shares this story, this parable. It's a story that paints a picture for us about the saving nature of who Jesus is. And the big principle is this, is that there's this flock of sheep and there's like 99 of them, right, together. And they're safe because they're together. Because if a wolf came in for the sheep, the shepherd would be with them, he'd beat them off. And, and the, the wolf would be overwhelmed because there's just so many of the sheep. Even though they're dumb, you know, he's not going to overcome all of them, right? But the one that left and went out on his own and thought, hey, I, I got life on my own. That grass looks greener over there, right? Jesus immediately says, I got to leave these guys because they're together. They've got protection because they're a community. And I've got to go get that one back, and I've got to bring him back into the fold. Because he's a sitting duck for deception. He's a sitting duck for the wolf out there. That's what Jesus does. So is Jesus bringing you back now? Are you in a faraway land where Jesus is luring you back through this pandemic? You haven't watched church in years. All of a sudden, you find yourself tuning in. You can't, you can't stop thinking about God's word and God's ways because this world is just crumbling under our feet. Come on home, Christian. Come on home to the church. Let Jesus carry you. Because that's how he keeps us. Secondly is this, as we see that John says that, that there's this, this, this thing that keeps us from deception, which is a deeper rooting in the truth. This, this, this constant pursuit of not just any knowledge, but the truth of who God is. Our deeper understanding of it. Here's what he says in 1 John 2, 20 through 27. And I, I want you to notice how the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, and the promise of the truth are always interwoven. You always see those two come together. So I'm going to talk about the Spirit after this, but let's talk about the truth here. He says this, but you have all been anointed by the Holy One. You've received the Spirit. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but actually because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Let what you've heard from the beginning, remember the gospel he's saying, and let that abide in you. Let the gospel remain in you. Quit trying to replace it and build on it. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, it remains in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. That's what happens when we remain, when we finish the race, when we trust God's word, eternal life. So beautiful. He says, I write these things to you, about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him remains in you, it abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. Now, he's not saying, stop going to church, just read your Bible on your own. 
He's saying you don't need any other additional teachers outside of the community of faith that you've entrusted your soul to and that God has empowered to lead you. That's what he's saying here. You don't need any extra teaching. You know, Jesus plus whatever. He says Jesus is everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. He says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true, and is no lie, just as it taught you, abide in him, remain in him. Just stay. John says, I'm writing to you and counting on the fact that his word is the only truth and that you believed what you said you believed in the beginning when you heard the gospel. He says, go back to what you've taught. You know, the ABCs of the gospel. Somehow, as Christians, we think that moving from milk to meat means that we get on from the gospel. John's saying you never get past the gospel. You can only go deeper in the gospel. If you think you've got all there is to get out of the gospel, you have not scratched the surface. Because Jesus is constantly revealing more of himself to us through his word. And the gospel is growing and sanctifying us as we chew on it and we treasure him with all that we have. He says, why are you believing these guys that are leading you away? Why, why, do you, why do you stand for this? They say you have to know more than you do. But God's word says you have to believe Jesus was crucified and resurrected for you and you'll be saved. I know it seems like a simple message. He did all the work. Not required, you know, nothing required of you except faith. But that's the mystery of it all. We tend to think that deception is just cognitive. If I just know the right things, then I can keep from being deceived. If I just read the reviews, then when I buy the product, it's going to satisfy me. Anybody out there, you read the reviews, you're like, man, these reviews are bogus. Who wrote these things? That's how we think about deception. We think about it as all cognitive. But, but Jesus... Jesus says, he, he shows us truth in a three-dimensional way. Here's what he says in John chapter 14, 6. Jesus says, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm the gatekeeper. So what this tells us is that everything about Jesus' life and behavior and speech is the definition of what truth is. And the Bible is good news to us because we learn about Jesus' life, his character, and his teaching through the Bible. The Spirit illuminates who Jesus is as truth to us as we read it. You know, Jesus was confronted by some Jews on one occasion that didn't appreciate his truth. And so Jesus rebuked him. And and this passage, what it teaches us, is about the nature of, uh, of, of, of the truth and lies and how deep it goes, okay? That's what I want you to get out of this. He says this to these Jews. He says, you're of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Just a, just a little light rebuke there. Uh, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He doesn't stand in the light. He doesn't stand in reality. Because there is no truth in him. In other words, how can he give you truth when he doesn't have truth in him? He says when he lies, when the devil lies, he speaks out of his own character to who he is. For he's a liar and the father of lies. You know, John is always speaking about the truth, aletheia, this this beautiful, all-encompassing truth for us. When when he speaks about it, he's always contrasting it with the lie. And and here's what he says about the lie. He says the lie has to do with uh, the character of a person, not just their words, not just their their thoughts, but their character. So what we see about the truth is this. The truth also has to do about the character of a person. 
Here's what uh, Roy Hessian in his, in his work, we would see Jesus says about this verse. He says, this settles the meaning of the word truth as John uses it. It's not just truth in the sense of the body of Christian doctrine and as, as those of a Reformed Presbyterian kind of tribe, that's what we think about. Just give me the Bible, just give me the truth, right? But here's what Hessian goes on to say. He says, but truth in the sense of honesty and reality or revelation of things as they really are. So when we hear the word of God, we think Bible, we think doctrine, we think inerrant and infallible truth. This is accurate and this is right, but it is not deep enough. The Bible, for us, the word, if it's just a, if it's just a reference book for our lives and not an active experience of transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are just scratching the surface. We're just filling our heads with knowledge. Jesus is the truth and his word is our truth by the Spirit's power means this. Jesus is always exposing us for who we are through his word, by his spirit, and who he is. So each day that we walk in the truth, we walk in the light as he is in the light, we are seeing more of who Jesus is and more of who we are and how much we need him. When we start walking away from that, we start being deceived. The deception is that we, by nature, are good people who do good things. I'm a good dude. And the reality is, is that only God is good. And so if any good comes from us, it's God. It's his handiwork. It's his work through us. And it's deception to think that we're good people who do good things naturally because it makes God to be a liar because God said you're sinners and you're destined for hell without grace, without Jesus. And so anytime that we believe that I don't need Jesus, we are participating with the work of the Antichrist, is what he's saying. Yeah, we're, we're building the kingdom of the enemy, the kingdom of deception, the kingdom of smoke and mirror and lights. Not seeing the kingdom of light for what it really is. So we don't just lie, but we act out the lie when we're being deceived. And this deception makes God to be a liar because when, I, when Ryan thinks he's good on his own, here's, here's what I'm saying to Jesus. Here's what I'm saying to God. I'm saying, I'm saying hey, God, I guess you, just, you, you wasted Jesus' blood on me because I don't really need it. That, that's what we're saying when we don't believe the truth about ourselves and the truth about who God is. Now, on the flip side of this, in Christ, we are in the truth. We are in the light. We are fully exposed before him. That means that no matter how difficult the truth may be to confront, it comes out of us and it is good. The outcome is good. Isn't that what Romans 8 teaches us? That God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you're called according to his purpose, you are a Christian. There's, there's nothing that could come out of you that would make Jesus flinch. Could, nothing could come out of Billy that would, that where God would say, oh, I uh, didn't see that one coming. Jesus' blood, I'm taking that one back. Nothing, nothing could happen like that is what he's saying. That's, that's what it means here. So, so where is it in your heart that you believe the lie, tell the lie, and act out the lie? Where is it that you're deceived or you're prone to deception? Is it, is it in your identity? You know, we can be deceived about the truth of our identity in so many ways. You know, that we're worse than other sinners, that we're outside the, the bounds of God's reach, that we're, or that we're better than other sinners. Wow, look at that guy. I can't believe those people are doing that thing right now. Or that we're not loved by God, or that we have more or less value than other image bearers of God, that we're not forgiven, or that we're not in sin. When we're in any of these places, we're acting out the lie. We're not seeing ourselves as God 
describes who we are, that we're beloved children of God, just as we are by faith. And when we're acting out this lie, you know, we're doing it because we've been deceived in believing the twisted truth of the enemy. And we based all of our affections and behaviors on that lie. We live out of the lie. So have you ever wondered, how did I get this construct of sin in my life? Well, it's because you were deceived in your heart. And then you build your life around the lie. That's, that's what John's saying here. Or maybe, uh, maybe uh, deception comes in community with others. You, you're revealed, deception's revealed to you through that. You know, the, the, the church now more than ever in my life has the greatest potential for division, but also the greatest potential for unity, right? For unity. Maybe you agree with the spirit of Antichrist by thinking evil thoughts of others. You know, jumping to conclusions based on your prior experience of other people, just boxing people in as soon as you hear something come out of their mouth. Oh, here we go again. This guy's so liberal. Oh, she doesn't care at all about justice. I haven't seen her post one thing on Facebook about this, and she calls herself a Christian? That guy's not wearing a mask. Does he not care about other people? Does he just want to kill everybody? That person always has a mask on. Do they even know the statistics about masks? Am I preaching, church? We've all been there, and we're there right now, and the enemy wants to deceive you and to divide us. The only hope that we have is the person and work of Jesus Christ giving peace to our heart and making us servants of all, seeking to outdo one another in honor. That's the only hope that we have. That's the truth about the way forward. Anything else is a lie. So I want you to consider that this week. Because by God's grace, I would hate for God, I would hate for the enemy, sorry, to wreck this beautiful work of grace that God has done in New City Church. Before you speak, before you post, before you think, channel those words and thoughts and actions through the blood of Christ and see if it changes how you would respond. Lastly, a deeper experience of the Holy Spirit is what keeps us from deception. So anytime we talk about God's Word, we need to couple it. We need to chain it to the Spirit. Because if God's Word isn't chained to the Spirit, it's just a reference book. It's just a history book. That's all it is. The Spirit is what makes God's Word come alive in your life. It's why you can read something one time and not get anything. And another time you read it, and you're like, wow, I can't stop reading this. Listen to what he says about the Spirit. 1 John 2, 20 and 26, 27. But you have been anointed. That's the word for Spirit there. He's talking about the Holy Spirit by the Holy One. And because of this, you have all knowledge. You know everything. Jesus hasn't held anything back from you that is necessary for salvation. And he says, I write to you these things about those who are trying to deceive you. That anointing that you receive from him, it, it remains in you, and you have no need for somebody else to teach you some extra thing, he's saying. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and it's true and is no lie, just as it taught you, abide in him. So, what the, what the Spirit does is it, it teaches us to remain in Jesus, the, the same old grace-soaked good news. We don't get beyond it. You never will. If you get beyond it, you're deceived. That's what he's saying. So when the Bible talks about anointing, especially in the, Holy, uh, in the Old Testament, he's talking about uh, one of two things. You know, oil that was used uh, in situations to symbolically set people apart like King David when he was anointed, right? Uh, but other times, oil is about bringing people to life, all right? 
It's one of the reasons why we're called to anoint people with oil when we pray for their healing as elders, right? Well, in the Old Testament, there's this beautiful picture of it in the temple about bringing light. Um, and I think this helps us see what the Holy Spirit does as we read God's Word and we listen to God's Word and we soak God's Word in. He says this, And you shall command the children of Israel, this is in the instructions of setting the temple up, uh, that they bring you pure oil, olive beaten for the light. And here's the reason why they need the oil, to cause the lamp to burn always. There's something about the makeup of the oil that keeps the lamp burning. So the oil for the lamp in the temple was essentially the power for light in the temple. No light in the temple, no opportunity for the priest to represent us before God, no opportunity for the priest to represent us before God, no forgiveness, right? That's how it works. But when Jesus came, he ascended and told his disciples to wait for the power of the Spirit to come upon them. And I want you to notice from John 15, 26, what the Spirit is. He says this, but when the Helper comes with the Holy Spirit, when he comes to make sense of Jesus in our hearts, to reveal Jesus in our hearts, he says, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So John is telling us that the Spirit's main focus is to make Jesus real in our hearts. That without the Spirit, Jesus is not a person in our hearts. To confirm in our hearts what we've been taught and to keep carrying us on in the truth. The Spirit carries us on to completion. That's the real miraculous nature of the Spirit. It's not necessarily just the signs of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, but the fact that the Spirit makes Jesus real 2,000 years after he came in my heart and yours. The fact that we are friends of God and we see Jesus as a person. That's the real miraculous nature of the Spirit. Christians believing God's word and being transformed by the promise of eternal life is the greatest sign and wonder he could have ever shown us. And if you're a Christian, Ephesians 1 tells us this, you have the Spirit. You say, okay, I don't experience, I don't experience the Spirit very much, Pastor. Well, do you read God's word much? Do you share community with other believers much? Because that's where the Spirit shows up. He's not just showing up to do tricks with you out in the community, right? The Spirit has come to work through his word to transform your heart, to conform you from one degree of glory to another. That's what the Spirit has come to do. So if you want your heart to burn for Jesus, consider it like this. God's word is like the wood and the Spirit is the fire. He's happy to light his word on fire in your hearts. So church, that's it. That's, that's, that's the, the design of God to keep us from being deceived. So my encouragement to you would be this, to never think you're beyond deception. To never think you're beyond deception. And those that you love and are with that are being deceived, if Jesus is truth, he left the 99 to go get the one. What's it look like for you to be on a mission with Jesus to see lost sinners reconciled to him? It's through his, his truth, among his church, by his spirit. That's how he keeps us from being deceived. Let's pray together. Father, I, I just give you thanks today for your word, Lord. Would you burn bright in us this morning, Lord? I love what Jeremiah says. He says, uh, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, he says, he says, if, basically, if I'm told, he says this, if I say I'll not mention him or speak anymore in his name, 
There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in. I cannot. God, would you make that us? Why can't that be us, Lord? Would you not only keep us from deception, but make us bold in the gospel? Because that's what the gospel does. It gives us such confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. Lord, the, the, the opportunity that we see for division is great, but the opportunity for unity is even greater, Lord. Would you make us servants of all? With your church, by your word, through your spirits. In Jesus' name, amen.